Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to them and their cultures and to elders both past, present and emerging. Not great. <laughs> um, I'm. I. I must apologise for the lack of the ep- of episode last fortnight. Um, you can probably still hear it a little bit in my voice. Uh, I uh, was on strict vocal rest from my ear, nose, and throat doctor because my vocal folds were very red and very mad from working on the phones for thirty hours and then doing a show for three weeks. So yeah, all of Jess's jobs involve some form of talking. Yeah. And it turns out that when you talk for like 20 hours a day, your voice is like, I'm out. No, thanks. I'm out. <laughs> like, they're just like, oh, I just got to pop out to the shop real quick. Do you need some milk? Do you need anything? I'm out. Yeah. I had one of those creepy um, cameras down my throat and mm-hmm. um, it looked at my vocal folds and they like no irreparable damage. Thank goodness. So I just have to be really mindful over the next little bit. So basically when I'm not working... I am completely silent at the moment. It's very boring. <laughs> lots of water, lots of lots of no talking. So, yeah. Yeah. What about tea? Lots of tea? Lots of tea. I did have – well, I've not been allowed to have, like, caffeinated beverages. So – Is caffeine bad for your voice? Yeah, it's not – it's like an – it's a little bit of an irritant and it's not <clears> – it's very – um, it's not very hydrating. Right. I'm going to sound like Patty and Selma one of these days then. <laughs> so, Yeah. Um, okay, what do we have to talk about first? Obviously, we've got our merch that will all be available in the, the links down below on your podcast app. Um, what else do we have to say? We do still have our Patreon. So uh, with the Patreon, we've been doing content on there for two years? A year? Surely not. Two years. A year. No, no, two years. We a period of time. Anyway, a period of time. There's heaps of content on there for you to listen to when you become a Patreon at any stage. Um, and then, you know, if you give us your money, um, we'll do things for you, you know? I don't know. Things. things. I'll sing a song. Stuff. Maybe. Um, I can do your, we can do your astrology chart. We're not mm-hmm. any good at it. Can't promise that it's going to be correct. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Um, what it's else? like a, a PG-13 audio only OnlyFans Yeah, remember that time we did Oh god I would be terrible at that Like more power to Like I think OnlyFans is great Like taking ownership of the industry and stuff like that Um, But like I would be so bad at it 
I would just be boring. Yeah. I wouldn't do anything. It's like me eating a bag of chips in the loft. No, but that's that's what they want. Anyway, let's not talk about OnlyFans. My mum listens to this show. Anyway. Oh, hi, Louise. Um, so, yeah, it's my turn uh, this fortnight. So that's also why we didn't do – because if it had been Ellen's episode and I could just chime in being like, mm-hmm, or yes, or <laughs> – then I, I would have. But, no, it's me talking all the time. Your favourite. <laughs> Something else we could have done that I've just realised is that I could have just done one. No, I mean, nah. Nah, anyway, that I didn't didn't come to us. No, and also I think we needed a bit of a break. There was lots going on. I mean, the world's in pandemic, so you had two weeks off. I'm sure you've missed us. Like, I'm sure every single day you've been like, "God, I miss Jess and Ellen." Also, we got a message on Facebook that I can't tap the table, so I'm going to hold my hands together underneath my chin. I read that message and was like, "I can't." I mean, I can't see what you're doing, like table wise. So I'm like, "Tap the table." What in where? Huh? I so think wait, like to em- I think to emphasize the point sometimes I'm like cuz can you hear right. that? Yeah. So I won't do that, I promise. Thank you so much for messaging us that. That's actually really helpful and I will be conscious of that for now and forever. Okay. Great. Okay. So my turn today. So obviously as we explained um over the last two episodes with our new season we are focusing on indigenous deaths. Um, so Ellen did a fantastic job covering um, the case of John Pat um, and then thereafter the Royal Commission that happened in the 90s about um, Indigenous deaths in custody. So basically I think one of the main reasons that Ellen and I wanted to do this particular season is that as um, you know, students and young people growing up in Australia, our, the history that we are taught is very whitewashed. The Indigenous people of this country have been here for thousands and thousands of years. And basically... Going back, estimates going back to literally 80,000 years. Yeah. And humans, like, you know, the earliest records we have of humans as, like, a species is 100,000 years ago, to put that in perspective. So, so. you know, when... Um, I mean, it, it, <clears throat> it might be very different in other places, but... Basically, the First Nations people of this country have been completely underserved in the Australian educational system because the um, sort of the white colonisation of Australia is really heavily taught um, Mm -hmm. about, you know, Captain Cook um, and then, you know, Burke and Wills and Abel Tasman and um, all those sorts of um, white colony people. Settlers. Settlers, yeah. yeah. so I, that was something that I wanted to look more into. So um, originally for this episode, what I was going to be doing is covering quite a few of the, um, the like massacres that occurred in the frontier wars when um, the white settlers first came to Australia. Um, but I found one story that was just really compelling and I wanted to give it enough time. Um, so yes, I'm going to be talking about the Bathurst Wars. So... The list of massacres of Indigenous Australians details groups of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who were killed following the colonisation of Australia by the British Empire in um, in 1778. No, 1788, beg your pardon. Uh, These events were fundamental elements of the Australian frontier wars and frontier massacres were a significant component, um, casualties of Indigenous Australians across the continent. Um, a project that was headed by historian Lyndall Ryan from the University of Newcastle and funded by the Australian Research Council. Um, you know, they were trying to come up with criteria of like what defines a massacre. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so a massacre is the killing of six or more people and they used um, – and basically they have this incredible map. I'll pop that in the um, show notes. And um, so it starts like in the early colonisation of the, – the white colonisation of Australia, sorry. Um, and they show these dots of settlers and then they the dots turn red when like a – six or more killing of Indigenous Australians has occurred. Oof. It's a lot. I just want to, like, put that out there for reverence. Like, we would have probably about 100 episodes if we were to talk about every massacre every that, o- that occurred. Um, the thing that's really shit about talking about this sort of stuff is unless there's been research done by white people there's not a lot of information um even some of the numbers about how many people were killed in the frontier wars that were indigenous it's not they're never going to have a definite number Mm -hmm. which is horrific Mm -hmm. so um as of january uh, the 3rd of january 2020 so this year um at least 311 frontier massacres occurred over a period of 140 years and had been documenting real um, and basically revealed that there was like a state sanctioned and organized attempt to eradicate Indigenous Australians. And that is a very important uh, point to make that it's not, it's not like, you know, almost that like, you know, these aren't just clashes or, you know, I've come into your land and territory or whatever. This is like approved of like, yeah. you go here, kill these people, yeah. you know, like, Sanctioned by yeah, white you officials. have a license to kill if you yeah. come across any indigenous person here, you're allowed to kill them, which is barbaric, like the most fucked up like, thing for for a quote unquote civilized you know because that was, nation. And I mean, that's what the general consensus is about, like the white colonization of most countries was that the white people were coming here because they wanted to, you know use the land properly and, mm-hmm. you know, make it a more civilised society. Whereas we came here, we fucked shit up, we killed a bunch of people in so many different and horrific ways. It's so cooked. Okay. And degraded the country and could just completely yeah, destroy the environment. We've completely fucked this place up. Like, completely fucked it up. Okay, so the massacres um, were conducted by following forces, um, the British Army... New South Wales Mountain Police and groups of um, armed colonists, uh, the Border Police, also um, Indigenous Australian Police as well, um, the Western Australian Police and the Northern Territory Police. Um, Yeah, so we arrive at a total of approximately um, 41,040 first Australians that were killed during the 3,420 official frontier dispersals across almost 40 years of conflict. Holy guacamole. So that's, and that's a statistical projection. So that's not a, that does not represent the full quotient of mm-hmm. Indigenous people that were killed. Mm-hmm. That's a police. That's a best guess. That's a best guess. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It's probably so much higher than that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, as we were saying, for thousands of years, this land has been occupied by Indigenous Australians. 
you know, they were living primarily along the foreshore. So in the northern Sydney areas, they were living primarily around the foreshores of the harbour and they fished and they hunted in the waters and hinterlands. Um, They harvested food from surrounding bush. You know, it was self-sufficient. It was harmonious. You know, they didn't have... They didn't have to travel very far from their land because they knew how to cultivate it and they knew how to get the resources they need without starving the land that they were living on and Mm -hmm. treating it with respect, which is something that I'll talk about in a little bit. Um, So, you know, communities moved throughout the country um, in accordance with the seasons. Um, People only needed to spend about four to five hours per day working to ensure their survival, so gathering food and you know, Mm -hmm. building shelters and all that sort of thing. Um, You know, with such a large amount of leisure time, you know, they, the Indigenous culture, Australian Indigenous culture is really rich and Mm -hmm. vibrant. There's beautiful stories that they would tell. Um, If you've been to any um, First Nations gatherings, like the music is extremely powerful the stories are incredible. Um, the dances and like I would call it like theatre that mm-hmm. they do is just immense. And I mean, even like from the descendants of that, those sorts of work, um, like Bangara Dance Company that's here in Australia, mm-hmm. the works that they do in order to um, talk about the stories that, you know, Indigenous Australians have been talking about for thousands of years like it's exceptionally powerful the history is so rich and so immense and you know we don't know I I don't know anything about it and I didn't know anything about it until I you know left school and Mm -hmm. went to places and met with um you know became friends with people who are indigenous and talking to them about their cultures and everything like that like it's just Mm -hmm. you know um okay so, and also, um, like, as I was saying, you know, they developed really rich cultural life, rituals, language, like so many different languages. And when you think about how many people were killed during the frontier wars, like that's languages gone, stories gone. Cultures gone, just songs gone, just gone. 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 Um, and then basically, and basically the law that... Um, Indigenous Australians follow, which is basically the heart of which, which is a connection to the land mm-hmm. in which they stand and we stand and we're lucky to be here, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So May 13, I'm um, sorry, May 1830, um, 13, sorry, Gregory Blacksland, William Lawson and William Charles Wentworth set out with a plan to find a passage through the Blue Mountains. Um, beautiful part of the country. Um Basically, after 21 days of travelling about 80 kilometres through, like, really rough country, um, the party reached Mount Blacksland. Not its original name. Um, From there, they saw this, like, vast expanse of forest and grass and, you know, immediately looking at it, they were like, yep, this is where we can plant a lot of crops. Like, we can can build a civilization here, you know? Mm -hmm. Which is stupid. So basically, this was the land of the Wiradjuri people, um, one of the largest um, groups in Australia. The Wiradjuri inherited, I'm sorry, inhabited an area bounded by the Blue Mountains in the east, the western slopes, um, and the open forest to the grassy plains in plains in the north and the west. Um, the community was led by Windradine um, and two white um, colonists. He was known as Saturday. 
um, and he, they lived, so Windradine and his community lived in the eastern part of the territory um, and they were connected to um, other groups by common language as well as cultural and trade links. Um, so they're obviously with this being Indigenous history, as we've said, there's not a lot of, um, you know, if basically if it's not about a white person, we there's not a lot of information. But Windradine... Um, was um, this is mainly the information about him is from British accounts, um, you know? So you can, but we can get sort of like a um, a bit of a description about him. So he was they're not really sure about his birth, um, but he became friends with a settler called George Sutter, um, and basically he George Sutter believed that Winderdine when he died was only about thirty, um, mm-hmm. so that would put him born around the eighteen hundred sort of area. Um, So after the passage through the Blue Mountains had been secured, assistant surveyor George Evans and his party had been instructed to explore the country. And Evans's uh, reports confirmed that excellent pastures beyond the mountains were found and Governor Macquarie um, ordered for a road to be built from the Nepean River. So in less than six months, this 160-kilometre road had been completed and... uh, Governor Macquarie and a large accompanying party set out to view the country and the journey in itself took about nine days um, by coach. Um, And when they arrived, there was like the welcoming ceremony was um, witnessed by some people of the Wiradjuri um, community. Um, So basically the initial sort of interactions between the white colonists and the Wiradjuri people were quite peaceful um you know they there wasn't a lot of um like altercation or tension between them they lived quite i mean for people coming onto your land and just completely taking it over like it was as amicable as it was as amicable, amicable as, as you can rem- could be. as you yeah. can imagine um so basically 3 days after that um Macquarie inaugurated the town of Bathurst um as we know it now um then continued to like go around the surrounding country um, and he talked about being um, visited by uh, a Wiradjuri, Wiradjuri men. And um, he talks about this like really um, impressive looking Wiradjuri man. And it's been sort of theorised that that was Windradine. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously that this that can't be proven. Um, so it was going to be about eight years until um, the... Um, Bathurst sort of became like famous, famous to the colony. So in 1820, the pop, um, the col- uh, the colony of Bathurst was around 114 um, from the the white the uh, the population of the white people in Bathurst was around 114, um, and this was due to Macquarie like being sort of cautious about the new settlement and he because he'd had some experiences um in the Hawkesbury and Nepean Wars there was um a, years of a lot of conflict so I'd say a lot of indigenous people passed uh, indigenous people were murdered around the 1795 to 1816 and that probably mm-hmm. that's probably why he was a little bit hesitant in like to not fully infiltrate the country with a bunch mm-hmm. of white people white people yeah. Um, so yeah, they were the Wiradjuri people because you know the influx of white people into their land wasn't you know draining their resources. And as I said, they were you know they told like they um, you know 
it was peaceful and slow. Like the growth mm-hmm. was not too overwhelming for them, you know? So mm-hmm. it was, as we said, as amicable as you could expect it to be when people just coming in and taking Take your, your land. land. Um, so in December of 1821, um, Governor Macquarie resigned um, due to basically these like undermining forces within his own government. So he was replaced by Governor Thomas Brisbane. Oh, <laughs> oof. Um, and he sort of had like a different idea about the colony. Um, he was like, all right, everyone in. So there was all this influx of all these um, British people onto the Wiradjuri lands. And this put an enormous strain on the um, resources and um, people were tearing up sites and, you know, mm-hmm. basically... Destroying the place. Destroying the place. And um, one of the descendants of Windradine was talking about, um, you know, basically they were ripping up, like, as white people would call them, headstones. Right. Basically pillaging cemeteries, sacred, sacred sites. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were just coming in and fucking everything up. Mm -hmm. So obviously the Wiradjuri were furious because... Mm -hmm. You would be. And that's when um, the Wiradjuri um, resistance was born. And basically they knew that they didn't have as much of a chance against the British because the British had access to guns and all mm-hmm. of that sort of stuff. But So they um, sort of adopted like a guerrilla sort of style warfare. Um, and yeah, because they were trying to protect their land, which is mm-hmm. 100% understandable. It is what any person any culture any community would do if somebody came onto their land and fucked it up exactly you would retaliate exactly um so basically following governor brisbane's decision to let everybody in into like and letting the west of the blue mountains open all of these um that's when sort of the conflict started happening so there was um there was um some um stockmen that were along the kajagon um river and basically they were just trying to drive the stockmen away and they were um there was like cattle and there was um several sheep killed and um obviously you know trying to protect their land trying to protect like the the sacred spaces that they had um and then around in late 1823 windradine um or known as the british by Saturday, um, was captured for the first time. So um, basically was that the white people were like, oh, well, the um, like, and I, the thing, because like, I obviously a lot of the resources that I found about this was using really, um, n- they weren't using a lot of correct terminology in talking about Indigenous yeah. Australians. Things that we would not say that today. That we would not say. So I, I'm not going to say anything like that because it's just, you know. Um, so one of the leads up to the um, the Bathurst War, obviously with the um, the stock and the cattle being attached, attacked, so the British, you know, fought, like fought back and, you know, intimidated them with – and the, obviously the, um, the Wiradjuri people didn't have – resources in order to protect themselves from guns so people were killed and they were attacked and it was a lot Mm -hmm. so 
around early 1824, there was a farmer um, who was growing potatoes and basically he offered um, passing Wiradjuri people um, some potatoes. Mm-hmm. And obviously they really enjoyed them. They probably hadn't had a, like, a potato. A, like a white potato before so mm-hmm. they um and by white I mean the color of the potato a was white, white potato I beg your pardon oh my god no a white <laughs> like you know like not anyway one of those European potatoes one of those Irish one potatoes of those, one of those white potatoes that's fine so, they are white potatoes they are white potatoes um so next day some of the families of the Wiradjuri um people came to grab like to get more potatoes because they liked the potatoes you would just you know Someone's Potatoes are the best something. vegetable. It's logical. Yeah. Um, basically, obviously the Wiradjuri people thinking that something that's growing on the land is, you know, Bears. for everybody and for everybody mm-hmm. as well. Like nobody can have ownership over something cultivating that from is, their ground. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the farmer ended up firing upon the group and basically from this attack, um, Warrandite's wife and son were killed Wow, shit. In the attack. So, obviously, he was enraged and they gathered warriors in order to resist against the British people. Mm-hmm. So then, 14th of August in the same year in 1824, um, Governor Brisbane decided to issue a proclamation of martial law. And for those of you like me who didn't know what martial law was, basically martial law is um, direct military control, mm-hmm. um, which is as great as it sounds, mm-hmm. which is not very. Very bad. Very bad. Very, 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 very bad. Um, so there was an at- a detachment of the 40th Regiment, regiment which was rushed to Bathurst, um, basically bringing the total number of soldiers in the Bathurst area to 75. And as I said before, the population was The like- white population of Bathurst was 114. Shit. So... Basically, they were armed and they began murdering Indigenous Australians despite um, martial law being declared. Basically, it was just a free fall. Mm-hmm. As we said before, it was imparted by the military of people being like, of white people being like, hey, you see an Indigenous Australian, off you go. Mm-hmm. Fucked, right? Mm-hmm. So the Wiradjuri obviously continued to resist against the British and, like, so many, so many of them were killed, especially women and children. And the thing that I never thought about, about, like, the whole frontier was was the poisonings that occurred. Like, not only people dying by, you know, severe and brutal and unnecessary violence, but also um, what used to happen is, like, um, Indigenous Australians would think they were receiving, like, gifts or something from the mm-hmm. white settlers of flour in order for them to you know use in their cooking or stuff like that and the flour would be poisoned oh, so shit. yeah so um the battle of bathurst began on the 10th of september when a Wiradjuri war party attacked on the station of the kajagong river um they drove off the cattle um and basically the um the station hands basically pushed them back so the Wiradjuri warriors were shot um basically the Wiradjuri um the the white station hands came back the next day to the um to the Wiradjuri camp um but it was deserted as they were you know burying their dead you know Jesus. Um, 
as the Wiradjuri people returned to the camp, um, the um, the white station hands had destroyed all of their weapons and basically fired on them as they mm-hmm. were coming back thinking, you know, nothing was amiss and mm-hmm. killed basically at least 16 of them, at least. Mm-hmm. Let's just remember that these numbers that we're saying are like the barest of barest minimums mm-hmm. and ended up wounding like so many more. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the outs- outset of martial law, Windredine's people had been informed that um, military operations against them would continue until um, the leaders of the Windredine um, warriors was given up. Mm-hmm. So Windredine himself had a reward of 500 acres of land upon his head. Um, by Oof. 1824, by late 1824, sorry, um, large numbers of the Wiradjuri um, were surrendering themselves to the government. To the government, um, Windredine continued to elude soldiers, and um, the martial law remained in place for seven, like a further seven weeks. Um, on the 11th of December 1824, um, the martial law was like finally repealed and on the 28th of December Windredine appeared at the head of his people in Parramatta to attend the governor's annual feast and he wore peace the word peace on his hat wow yeah and basically um he he knew that the the soldiers wouldn't attack upon him because of the possibility of like the riot from the indigenous people that were Mm present that yeah that would have happened if anything had happened um so governor brisbane wrote a letter to major jt morissette um who was the commandment at bathurst thanking them for the purpose of the proclamation by the judicious measures taken by you and the other magistrates at bathurst the aboriginal natives have learned to respect our power and he basically went on to say that it is impossible perhaps at all times to prevent the infliction of injury upon them by individuals and if justice cannot always be done, it deserves consideration upon such occasion where the wrong may not be repaired by who assisted the police. I have directed £50 subject to detailed accounts of its expenditure to be at your disposal. That's... That's fucked. Yeah. Um, so basically the letter implied like the acknowledgement that the punishment of the local Wiradjuri was excessive and unlawful, you know, Mm -hmm. classic white people. Um, And Mm -hmm. it also indicated that there was use of um, indigenous, like first Australian um, police aids as well in the tracking of um, Wiradjuri people. Mm -hmm. Um, So Colonel William Stewart was um, appointed as the head of New South Wales Police and um, Lieutenant Governor of the Colony helped oversee some of the government response to the Bathurst uprising. His reward was to stand on a high point, Mount Pleasant, not its original name, at the edge of the Bathurst Township and declare his right to all the land that he could see. Oh, my Um, God. Yep. Governor Darling formalised the grant of 3,200 acres in 1826. It included unlimited and restricted water right, unrestricted water rights, sorry, to um, the Macquarie River. Um, the historical records, original deeds and agreements are held by the family at Strath, so Bathurst. Um, today, um, the great wealth that came from Stuart and his descendants continue to be seen in the form of Abercrombie House, which was later built on the, um, the land that was granted. 
Um, at the conclusion of the war, the New South Wales colonial government also recognised the need to have a mounted infantry to effectively place the frontier under the British control. Um, so there was foot soldiers that were proven um, to have been adequate force on the wide plains of the interior. And as a result, in 1825, Colonel Stewart formed the New South Wales Mounted Police. And this force was manned with soldiers, not civilians, um, initially consisted of two detachments, one stationed in Bathurst and the other at Maitland. Um, Maitland, mm. sorry. Um, so the New South Wales Mounted Police became the principal instrument of enforcement of colonial rule on the frontier for a further 15 years. Shit. So um, I found this incredible, um, I found this incredible um, footage of the... Um, so Dinawang, Dinawang Dirabang, who is a descendant of um, Warrandyte, um, oh, he's a descendant of Warrandyte's brother. Um, they held a um, memorial, basically, on the 193rd anniversary of the um, Declaration of Martial Law. Mm-hmm. And um, he was going to, like, basically they'd been, years previous they had been um, a ceremony talking about the um founding the the founding fuck off of Bathurst (laughs) and they had reenacted everything and it was you know very you know it was almost identical to what had happened but he said you know the the thing that wasn't featured because it didn't happen was a treaty between the cult like the white colonizers and the Wiradjuri people because it Mm -hmm. didn't happen Mm -hmm. um you know and still it's not happened no and you know the 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 thing that the things that he was talking about was mainly like in as as i said like in the beginning the Wiradjuri people were peaceful with the um the white colonists because you know they weren't exhausting the resources but mm-hmm. all of a sudden when all of these influx of um white people onto the land that didn't know how to cultivate it they were you know start like draining the rivers their medical resources as well were just completely gone the damaging of sacred sites like it's was immense um and it affected the survival of the Wiradjuri people um you know Windradine you know leading against the British like he was you know fighting for their rights to a resistance against the people coming onto their land and taking everything Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, there was very powerful, like the connection obviously between Dinawan and the entire Wiradjuri community in like with how they, with such reverence talked about Warrandyte. Mm-hmm. Um, and he went on, he was also talking about like, you know, like the development and the changes and the progress of the settlement and everything like that. But the people that suffered from this progress was the Wiradjuri people who not only watched their land just be completely destroyed but also so many of their people murdered murdered um and uh Dinawang basically went on to say as far as the Wiradjuri people are concerned today we've always said that this is our land and we have never ever surrendered our sovereignty um and the Wiradjuri people believe that the land can't be sold because it's never owned you Mm -hmm. never sell your mother you love her and you care for her oof fuck that's powerful and yes that's the Bathurst Wars that was really good I enjoyed it 
And it just makes you think about like, you know, that story occurred 311, did you say, more times? Yeah. Throughout not a very long time. And I mean, that's only the documented ones. So, yeah, exactly. As we've said, this happened through our entire country. Mm -hmm. So, it's not a. I mean, I, I found this really affecting because I, you know, watching the descendants of Warren, of Warren Diet doing this, this beautiful ceremony. And it was also amazing to see so many um, white Australians at the ceremony as well, acknowledging, mm-hmm. you know, what part our, you know, our ancestors have played in mm-hmm. the colonisation of this country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, how, the white colonisation, sorry, of this country. Um it was very affecting to watch these people joining in with the ceremony and just, you know, acknowledging our history because mm-hmm. – sorry, I'm getting a bit choked up. Um, because I mean, it's not acknowledged. No, you know, it's not. To see it's so really many not. people acknowledging it. And I think also, you know, something that is said a lot in Australia by white Australians is like, well, my my ancestors didn't do it. You know, my, my grandfather or great-grandfather yeah. or whatever didn't do anything – but the fact of the matter is, is that even if they never held a gun or anything like that up against no. another, we have person, benefited from their work, yeah. like from their murder. Like we yeah. have, we have benefited entirely from what occurred in, you know, from when Captain Cook came here. Like mm-hmm. it is our job as white people to acknowledge the privilege that we have because of what came before us even if we don't have a direct line to any of these atrocities that have occurred, it is our responsibility to take ownership for it. Mm-hmm. And I spoke to a few people, actually Paul, who um, was in Cluedo with Zane and I, he was talking about, um, he was working in Indigenous services at the time of the sorry mm-hmm. um, for the stolen generation. And it was, he just said, like, just that acknowledgement mm-hmm. that, you know, apology, which, you know, on the grand scheme of things for what has happened... Is nothing. Is nothing. It's, it's piss in a bucket. It's nothing. But but to the people that have, are descendants of the people that this happened to, like, it would have been so powerful. And for something to go that has gone unacknowledged for literally hundreds of years, just the acknowledgement that it indeed happened is yeah. a massive... It's a big know, deal. It's a really it's a big, big deal. deal. And, you know, I... You know, with age has come a lot more um, realization of just how much I have benefited entirely from mm-hmm. the whitewashing of Australia. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, once again, reiterating and beating this dead horse of like, that's why Ellen and I are wanting to talk about this because mm-hmm. it's been, you know, acknowledging this all, like, all of this has just been. massive massive and for us that you know we're not saying that like you know two white girls with a podcast is changing the world but for us who never had the opportunity to hear these kinds of stories when we were growing up like just telling them to a handful of people and so they know you know it's more than we had and it's more than a lot of people have had in their kind of education and understanding about the history of Australia so I think you know and I mean I I might have already spoken about this before, but we had a really lovely email from um, an Indigenous Australian yeah. um, when we added the acknowledgement of country. Again, and it's just acknowledgement. Such you know. a small gesture from us, but something that was so affecting 
to somebody mm-hmm. was a big wake up call to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's when we started thinking that we, we need to talk more about um, not only people of colour, but especially the Indigenous Australians who've been so underserved. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, I've been such a little crybaby, but yeah, this is really, it's about a hard one. Um, yeah. So I'll put some resources, some things that you can watch about Warren Diet, um, the beautiful ceremony that was held, um, some of the mm-hmm. resources that I used as well. Um, very beautiful, very powerful. I 100% recommend if you can, um, I know with COVID and everything at the moment, it's a bit tricky, but if um, I believe you can become a patron for Bangara Theatre Company. Um, so I would definitely recommend that. I will also put mm-hmm. a link to their website. Um, and also if you can like watch any of their incredible works, honestly, so powerful. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. And you know, if you live in Australia, look up the history of the place that you live in. Yeah. And you know. It's terrifying to have a look at like the things that have happened. Mm-hmm. And just how that I mean, honestly, that that graphic of the the uh, massacres that have occurred, like it's mm-hmm. it's really it's really hard to look it's at, but we have to. But mm-hmm. you know, as white people, as I said, we need to acknowledge like what happened, so we can never let anything like that ever happen again, mm. and also just learn about. Yep you know the people that have been on this land for thousands of years because they know how they know how to work this land better than we do and Mm -hmm. we've just royally fucked it up i know i need a glass of wine Mm, mood huge mood okay so we'll be back in a fortnight with another with another tale of misery woe and sadness right um, if you have any questions or queries or complaints, uh, feel free to email us at murderandlearnedofoz at gmail.com. Uh, make sure that you are reviewing on your fave podcast app. That would Five be- stars only, please. Thanks. If you have issues with us, please don't leave a review. Just send us an email or send us a, a, a Facebook message. I'm so mm. grateful for that lady that sent the message about the tapping. I hope it hasn't occurred again. I'm so sorry if it has. I will do better. Um, yeah, check out the I'm merch. Just, I'm waiting for the email about my mouth noises. They're going to happen. Zane is not pleased. Right. <laughs> well, thank you guys and thank you for listening. Um, stay safe. Hope you're all doing all right. Um, reach out to us if you need anything to chat to anybody. I'm on the end of the Instagram if you ever need someone to talk to. So, Mm -hmm. there you go. All right. Bye, dolls. Bye. Are you sick of podcasts about space that are so overproduced that every sound is curated to inspire? This is not that podcast. My name's Annie Hanmer, and I'm a PhD student at the University of Sydney in the School of History and Philosophy of Science. I record interesting conversations with people working in the most niche areas of space activities. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I'm talking space law, space security, space archaeology, space espionage, and a whole lot more. Do I carefully edit and add beautiful music and sound effects? No, I've got a PhD to write, and you're an adult. One time I recorded a podcast about space warfare in a hut on an airfield during a flight show of military aircraft. It is 
nigh on unlistable, but my goodness, is it an experience. This is the podcast for people who want to learn something new and want quality, authentic content. Search for Space Junk Podcast in your podcast app and look for the purple logo. Uh, that's not kind of productions podcast.